Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now, here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Welcome into Fantasy Baseball today on Monday, January 31st. I am Frank Stanfield, joined by Chris Towers. Unfortunately, no Scott White as he is under the weather. I want to welcome back our YouTube audience as well as we'll be doing each of our podcasts live on the YouTube channel moving forward, typically between 10 and 10.30 p.m. Eastern time. Subscribe if you haven't already. We've got some fun uh, live mock draft streams coming up as well. We're going to try to do one of those per week in addition to our full-length podcast, again, live here on the YouTube channel. Chris, how are we doing, man? We got smacked by a a little, I was going to say a little nor'easter, but that kind of feels... I don't know. That's not like the accurate description. Like, how could there be we, a little? We Norris? didn't get hit. We didn't get that hit hard by it. Ah. You know, it, it was bad in Boston. <laughs> it's pretty, but it's New good. York was. We got like eight to ten inches, which was pretty bad. But I feel like we had a worse storm last year. Did we? Or at least there know. was more snow last year. It was super windy. Although it's hard to tell. This is something I'm learning living <laughs> somewhere that it snows. Is that like? When you're living somewhere where it rains, you can pretty much tell. Like, I have a good sense of how hard the wind is blowing based on the way the way the rain is falling. But snow, it's so light that, like, I was looking out my window on Friday night when it was snowing, and I was like, oh, my God, it's like a, it's like a hurricane. And then I looked at a tree, and it was, like, barely moving. And it's like, oh, it's just that snow snows very light. <laughs> yeah, I don't, that, that's like, that's my that's my meteorological report. <laughs> that this is my Mike Trout impersonation. Uh, nothing says baseball like a like a foot of snow on the ground, right, Chris? Um, I could just hear the wind howling outside right now. So yeah, I mean it's yeah. uh, there. There's some snow on the ground. It's it's cold here in the nor- in the Northeast on Friday night. It's snowing. Uh, it was my sister's birthday. I walk. I decided to walk home from my parents in the snow, like just getting smacked in the face by snowy pellets, and it, it was a terrible idea. I don't know why I did that, but bad idea. Yeah, bad idea. Not great at all today. Today on the podcast, we're going to have a little fun. We're going to play a little, who is this year's blank? We'll go through a bunch of different categories, like who is this year's Vladimir Guerrero, for example, a mid-round pick who can provide first-round value for next year. I realize that very likely there is not going to be a this year's Vladimir Guerrero, but these are just some fun categories. And, you know, Chris, I've seen some people on Twitter recently kind of making fun of, like, doing the whole who is this year's whatever. Obviously, we don't necessarily think that it's going to happen but it's just a fun way a different way i guess to find breakouts or overvalued or undervalued players and talk about them and these things do happen every year there's always some guy who comes out of relatively nowhere to become a first round type contributor there's always some first rounder who just inexplicably falls off i mean we saw it the last two seasons with christian yelich and cody ballinger we saw it three years ago with Jose Ramirez, you know, the, these types of things happen. It's very, very hard to predict them because by their nature, 
we're talking about outliers. You know, a lot of people liked Corbin Burns last year, including me, uh, but I don't think anybody saw him almost winning a Cy Young. So, you know, that that's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a worthwhile exercise. And I think these types of exercises are always worthwhile because look, we're not, it's not going to be exactly these guys, but it's about trying to identify types of players who can, you know, exceed their expected outcome. And also something that I think more fantasy players should think about is the possibility of ranges of outcomes, not just, you know, you look at a projection and it's just one number. But what a projection actually is, is an average of a bunch of different outcomes. And so, you know, some, some years a player is going to have the best year of his career and some years he's going to have the worst year of his career. And those things are equally likely to happen in any given year. And so, I mean, uh, barring injuries and all that stuff, but you know, you know what I mean, statistically, probabilistically. And so I always think it's helpful to, to think about ranges of outcomes as well as most likely outcomes. I don't know. I think it's a really good point that you bring up. If you go to fan graphs and you look at all the different projection systems, those are medium projections. And I think that's worth mentioning. And also, I guess this is a good time to reveal that we're going to have Ariel Cohen on on uh, Friday's podcast to talk about his ATC projections and um, compare them to our rankings. So we can have a little, you know, rankings versus ATC projections there. So that'll come to you this Friday. We'll have some fun with that. Chris, you mentioned Corbin Burns uh, almost winning the National League Cy Young last year. He did win the Cy Young. So, I, you know, just... Oh, I, okay, I was trying to remember. <laughs> it was like one vote apart, right? Him yeah, and Zach no, Wheeler? It, was, it was super close. Yeah. yeah. Um, but it could have went either way. Um, but yeah, Corbin Burns, our National League Cy Young Award winner. And let's start right there. Who is this year's blank? We're going to start with... This year's Vladimir Guerrero slash Corbin Burns, a hitter or pitcher going inside the top 60 who will return first round value. And Chris, why don't you get us started? Yeah, so there, there were a couple of guys that I, that I thought about for this. Obviously, if anybody knows me, Byron Buxton and, and, and um, Cattell Marte were two of the first ones that came to mind. Um, I do think they both have first round or second round potential, but I'm going to go with Pete Alonzo, who I wrote about in my breakouts column, and I, I tend to have a very fluid and broad definition of breakouts because I I don't just think it's like, oh, well, this player already broke out. He can't break out again. It's always about can a player reach a new level of production? And in Pete Alonso's case, I do think he can because what we've seen over the last three seasons is he came into the league, hit 53 home runs, and he's been a little disappointing since then. But he's improved his plate discipline quite a bit over the, over the two seasons since that rookie year. And Last season, he had a 20% strikeout rate, which if he's able to sustain that, that's the kind of thing that we saw you know, Matt Olson do and, and make a big leap last season. So I think Pete Alonso has that kind of potential if he can you know, sustain that strikeout rate because if you look at the underlying numbers, his expected Woba on contact, not that different from his rookie season. His expected Woba last season was actually slightly better than his rookie season despite the slightly worse overall production. And so... I do think that there's a chance that Pete Alonso is able to marry his elite power with his improved plate discipline and could potentially have, you know, a 280, 40 homer, you know, 240 combined runs and RBI kind of season. He could have a, a legitimate four category stud season if he's able to marry both of those things. 
Yeah, I think kind of like what we saw from Matt Olson in the first half last year where the batting average was awesome along with all the power production. And we already saw Pete Alonso take that step forward in terms of the contact rate, as you mentioned. So mm-hmm. the strikeouts, had they were 26% back in 2019, then 25% in the short in 2020, just 20% last year. And I've mentioned this multiple times. He went on the IL with a right sprained hand in mid-May. He returned on May 31st. And once he returned, 270 batting average, 31 homers, and 893 OPS over 115 games. That is a 40 homer pace. So I'm with you. I think that you know he can hit 270 plus with a ton of power, and hopefully in a better Mets lineup. They signed Starling Marte. They fi- uh, signed a few other people: Eduardo Escobar, Mark Hanna. We're hoping for a bounce back um, from Francisco Lindor as well. So I'm with you. I'm 100 with you when it comes to Pete Alonso. Uh, in fact, I even wrote up Medelson. As a in my bus column, but not he's not someone that's go, that I think is going to bottom out or anything. I just think that he's overvalued mm-hmm. based on his price relative to Pete Alonso because I just I don't think that Pete Alonso and Matt Olson are, are all that different. V- very similar profiles, and and you know one one thing I want to highlight is it's not just like oh he struck out less, but the underlying plate discipline numbers aren't any different. Um, you see real changes in his plate discipline. He's gone from swinging at sixty five percent of pitches in the zone in twenty twenty to seventy one percent this season. And it's not just that he was swinging more often. Uh, his chase rate was a little higher than 2020, but actually a little lower than 2019. And so that's what you want to see more swings on pitches in the zone, fewer swings on pitches out of the zone. And that's exactly what we're getting from Pete Alonso. We're seeing more pitch, more swings on the first pitch, which production for nearly every player in the league is way better on the first pitch. Uh, if players swing at the first pitch. And so, you know, those are things, the whiff rate way down. And so I just think there's a lot of things going in the right direction for Pete Alonso, especially because he did not have to sacrifice power for that. Max exit velo right where it was before. Average exit velo actually slightly higher. Barrel rate just a little bit behind 2019. And so I think you can you can see a situation maybe like a uh, Cody Bellinger in his, his, his MVP season kind of thing. I mean, I'm not as much of an improvement in strikeout rate, but that kind of jump. In the month of January, I'm going to use NFBC ADP today. There's some stuff going on with the Fantasy Pros ADP. We're trying to get that sorted out uh, with our CBS ADP. But Pete Alonso in the month of January, 54.7 is the ADP. So you're looking at a fifth round pick um, and really one of the premier con- uh, power contributors going in that you know top five, t- top six round range. For me, Inside the top 60, someone who can be this year's Vladimir Guerrero, potentially returning first-round value. I was considering Francisco Lindor. I, I seem to kind of be out on a limb as like the Francisco Lindor guy this year, and I'm actually I'm perfectly fine with it. Uh, but I'm going to go with Eloy Jimenez, who I wrote up in my Breakouts 1.0 article. And I'm very interested to hear what you have to say, Chris, because I know last year you were off Eloy Jimenez. He was going a little bit earlier. He was like a third, fourth-round pick. Now he's yeah. kind of dropped down about like two more rounds. He's like... Uh, consistently going in like that sixth round range in 12 team leagues. And last year's kind of, I kind of feel like we just brushed last year under the rug, right? Like, how much do we yeah. take away from it? He had a torn peck in spring training. He only played 55 games. He hit 249, 10 homers, 740 OPS. Clearly was not healthy when he returned. I actually read an article recently about how much his timing was off upon returning. Uh, and if you look at everything leading up to 2021, the reasons why people were so excited about Eloy this time last year is because everything was trending towards a breakout. Everything was upward trajectory for a former top prospect who was 
entering the prime of his career. He had 31 home runs as a rookie back in 2019, and then he hit 14 in the shortened 2020 with an 891 OPS. He hit 296 in that season. He's still just 25 years old. The White Sox lineup, in my opinion, is loaded. If I had to pick a team that was going to be this year's Toronto Blue Jays offense, just kind of all come together and just be miles ahead of everyone else, it's the White Sox. I think the White Sox could just be amazing. Um, and I actually kind of see some similarities here, Chris, just between Vlad and Eloy being, you know, the former top prospects that they were. Eloy hits too many ground balls as well. I don't know if that's something that's going to change, but when he's healthy and he's going right, it doesn't matter because the balls that he puts in the air, they're elite. Yeah. Like, he crushes them. He cons- consistently has a, ho- a high home run to fly ball ratio. So for all of those reasons, I actually really do like Eloy Jimenez quite a bit. Yeah, the, the, the reasons I had an issue with him last season weren't that I thought he was a bad player. It was just I didn't like the value because I think there's one. I think he was being drafted as if he was a really good batting average player, and I'm not sure he's going to be that. He certainly can. He actually he reminds me a lot of Jose Abreu, um, you know, pretty free swinging, but makes a decent amount of contact. He's not like Joey Gallo strikeout rates. He's not going to walk. He's not going to have a good OBP, but he makes enough contact and makes enough hard contact that the counting stats should be pretty good. The one area where he may lag behind his other stats is runs. He has um, only scored 118 runs in 232 games. If you put that out over a 150 game pace, that's right around 78 runs, I believe. So that's pretty bad. And now that's not necessarily to say it will be the case moving forward. Um, but yeah, at a at a lower price, I think Eloy's a perfectly fine gamble as a breakout pick. It's you know last year he was being drafted as if he had broken out, and that that was the concern I had. But I don't think that's there anymore. Yeah, the ADP right now is sixty one point seven in the month of January, going just behind George Springer, just behind really. There's there's like a two pick span between sixty and sixty two where on average, Byron Buxton, George Springer, Nick Cassianos, Eloy Jimenez are all going right now. I'm going to assume That's you have... a really interesting range. Yeah, I'm going to assume that you have Buxton the highest of that group, Chris. But what about Springer versus Cassianos versus Eloy? <sighs> Cassianos probably won't end up in that range. You know, there's uncertainty about where he's going to sign. Uh, I guess if he signs in Miami, it might go down. But otherwise, you know, I think he's going to move up from here. Springer, the only question is health, right? I mean, he we know like he he's the kind of it the Eloy versus Springer thing is the mystery box versus boat thing. You know, you're kind of hoping that Eloy Jimenez can become the kind of player that George Springer has been for a very long time. And I, I do think the White Sox offense can be very good, but I the the Blue Jays comp the one place I think it falls short is the Blue Jays have a lot of high OBP guys. And the White Sox do not. The White Sox lineup has a lot of really good hitters, but you're talking about Tim Anderson, Luis Robert, Jose Abreu, Eloy Jimenez at the top of the lineup. Tim Anderson might have the highest OBP of that group, and he does not walk very much. He just has a high batting average every year. So that's the one play. It's not going to turn over as much as the Blue Jays did last season, and the counting stats you know, won't be quite as ridiculous. I mean, Marcus Simeon had like 730 plate appearances last season or something. <laughs> it's wild. Yeah. Um, so I would rather have George Springer, but I think that's a, a perfectly reasonable range for all of those players to be going because I think they all have reasons to be a little concerned, but 
tremendous upside. I would love to have any of Eloy Jimenez, Nick Castellanos, George Springer, or especially Byron Buxton on my team. Yeah, it's it's definitely an interesting um, group there of outfielders. The only thing with Springer, you know, I I love I, I love the player, and he showed us again last year. You know, when he's healthy, he's awesome. But it's just a matter of him staying healthy. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, he's getting up there in age. I think he's like thirty two years old now. So yep. yeah, definitely um, some concern there. I have it ranked Buxton, Springer, Eloy, Castellanos, actually all in a row uh, in that exact order. For myself as well. Let's move on to the next one that we got up here, Chris, and it is who is this year's Austin Riley, a hitter going outside the top 200 who will return top 50 value. So another breakout-ish type candidate doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, someone who returns first or second round value, but I think Austin Riley finished just inside the top 40 last year. You know, maybe we're looking at a, a former top prospect, something like that, who can get back on track here. Chris, who do you think fits this category? Yeah, this is actually, it's interesting. This was my, the way I wrote my breakouts column was guys going from must start to superstar. So that's your Pete Alonzo. And then, you know, just a guy to must start. You're, you're Austin Riley. You, you put in the notes, Joe Adele would be the guy for both of us, but we've talked enough about Joe Adele and why we like him over the last week or so. So tune into the last few episodes for that. Um, but I'll, I'll go with, similar-ish situations. One being Joey Bart, the catcher for the San Francisco Giants, who has continued to hit really well in AAA, but hasn't really shown it in the major league level. Um, But he should be the everyday catcher for the Giants this season with Buster Posey retiring. And Alec Boehm, who I think was way overvalued last season based on what he showed as a rookie. I think the, the concerns with him as a prospect were he should put the bat on the ball, but it's not clear how much raw power he has. And last season, he actually showed quite a bit of raw power. His average exit velocity was 92 miles per hour. His expected wo- uh, expected Wobon contact was 39- 398. His hard hit rate was 49.5%. The problem was 27% strikeout rate, 7.4% walk rate. Hits too many balls on the ground. You've heard this story before. This is a very, very popular type of breakout candidate. This season, he's not. Uh, this season, nobody seems to want Alec Bohm. He's going outside of the top 200. We're not sure he has a place to play every day in Philadelphia because his defense is quite bad as well. But assuming they have the NLDH, I think he'll be out there if he can hit. It's the kind of thing where if he hits, he, he fits. So um, I think that's kind of the case for both of them. And uh, yeah, I, I like drafting both of those guys in the later rounds. Um, the last mock draft that we did, I think I took Joey Bart, uh, in like the 22nd round or something like that, or the 19th round. I think that's great value. And, uh, I think I've ended up with Alec Boom in one or two spots as well. So like taking the chance and just to give some context on Joey Bart, he's played 89 games between double A and triple A. So not a huge sample size. He's got 14 home runs and he's hit over 300 in those games. So you know, this is a, a catcher who could potentially be a top five fantasy option. So, yeah, like both of those guys, Joey Bart and Alec Bohm. Yeah, I like both of those calls as well. And, and they're going, um, you know, well outside the top 200 right now. Yeah. Uh, Joey Bart, 273.6 is the ADP. So we're talking, you know, strictly if you play in two catcher leagues, you know, maybe he, if he breaks out, he works his way into being 
starting viable in a one-catcher league, but mostly for a two-catcher league, uh, a roto-type format. And then Alec Bohm, the ADP 290.4 right now. So we're talking about the end of your draft, maybe a corner infielder, maybe in a head-to-head points league, someone you just stash on your bench to see if he can kind of break back out. We saw him in the shortened 2020 look really good. He hit 338, and then obviously that cratered last year for the reasons that you mentioned, the strikeouts rose, and just too many ground balls. I I mean, for someone... Of his size, I don't know that he's ever going to be a legitimate power hitter. I mean, there are some underlying numbers that say that there is power in that bat. He Mm -hmm. would really have to change the launch angle. But even with that, if they just turn into line drives, he should be someone that can help you with batting average. Uh, And if he's hitting in the middle of the lineup, provide some counting stats as well. So, yeah, I like both of those calls. As of now, roster resource has uh, Alec Bohm starting at third base for the Philadelphia Phillies. We'll see what they do. I mean... They need to figure out their outfield because they have Bryce Harper and then Adam Hazley, Mickey Moniak, and uh, if there's a universal DH, that would be Matt Veerling. So yeah. they're gonna they're gonna yeah. add at least one person. They've been linked to Michael Conforto, I believe. They've been linked to a couple of the other you know bigger name outfielders as well. So Castellanos. I think I they've know. been nicked to yeah Nick Castellanos. That would be fun. Um, yeah. So yeah, I. It's not 100% sure that he's going to play every day. I think that's part of why his value is really low. But, you know, at that price, what's the what's the risk? Yeah, I'm with you. Even if he's your last-round pick, why not? I mean, there's, there's literally no risk there at all. For the Giants with Joey Bart, I've seen some talk that they could use Kirk Casale more because he's a pretty good defensive catcher, uh, according mm-hmm. to... Stackcast, he is 79th percentile in framing, so it's actually pretty good. But, man, if Joey Bart puts in the work in terms of being able to call a game and he's just, like, adequate defensively, they're mm-hmm. going to give this kid a shot because it, it's, you know, it's been coming for a while now, and yep. they have to see what he could do at the major league level. So I do like that call quite a bit as a second catcher. For me, this year's Austin Riley, I have Jesus Sanchez, who I believe you wrote about as well, Chris, did you? He was one of my sleepers, yes. Okay, yeah. So I do think that there is breakout potential here, specifically in the power department. I don't know that he's going to offer you much else, but Jesus Sanchez, a former top prospect with a bunch of inconsistent seasons in the minors. He got off to a great start at AAA last year and then played 64 games overall with the Marlins, hit 251, 14 homers in 808 OPS. That's a 32 homer pace over the course of 150 games. Uh, But his time with the Marlins was kind of weird because he played 24 games and then he went on the COVID IL. He missed about a month of the season right around the All-Star break, didn't return until mid-August. But once he did return, final 45 games, that's where he did a lot of his damage. He had 11 homers and 857 OPS a near 16% barrel rate and started hitting more fly balls and line drives, which like we were just saying for Alec Bohm, Chris, this is the key for power hitters. And we say it every single year. We when talking about Vlad last year, if he can change mm-hmm. the launch angle and raise it up a little bit, good things are going to happen. That's what happened for Jesus Sanchez last year when he returned from the COVID IL. He's someone who typically has hit a lot of ground balls in the minors and in his first stint here in the majors. But then once he came back, he rectified that. And I love, Chris, I love the fact that as a left-handed batter, he hit both lefties and righties really well last season. So I swear, this has nothing to do with me having him in the Scott White Dynasty League. I do watch him very closely. But I'm intrigued. I think, you know, someone who's going around 250 in ADP right now would not surprise me one bit if he hits 260 with like 30-plus home runs. Yeah, I think, you know, I was already at the end of last season to 
fade Jesus Sanchez because he was so good at the end of the season that I thought his price would be super inflated. And there are flaws in his skill set. You know, strikes out way too much, doesn't have good plate discipline, um, and hasn't shown consistently the, the ability to hit for power in games. But he's someone who has long been a scout darling. You know, he, he's got really good natural skills. They, there have always been raves about his swing. And so maybe it just clicked, you know, that that's the kind of thing that can happen with a young, talented player like, like Jesus Sanchez. And so in that same range, I'd rather have Joe Adele, but you don't have to pick between them. You could have them both if you want to wait until the, you know, 200 range to take a couple of outfielders. And yeah, I think I like the the upside for for Jesus Sanchez as well. All right, yeah, we are getting a few comments here on YouTube. I'll throw one of these up on the screen. And Cola Bear says Luis Arias breakout potential. He is in my breakouts 1.0. I like that call quite a bit. The problem is he doesn't fit this mold because the ADP a little bit too high. Going around pick 152. Yep. But triple eligible Luis Arias and showed a lot of that breakout potential in the second half of the season. So I do like that quite a bit. And you can He's find in my it. breakouts column as well. Yeah, let's do it, Chris. All right. Next the, one. the most interesting thing there, uh, cut his strikeout rate down to 18% from June 1st on. He's not a huge power hitter, but if he's able to put the ball in play, his swing profile is a lot like Jonathan India's. And India's a lot more expensive. So I, I really like Luis Arias as kind of the off-brand Jonathan India. And you can, last year, if you're following the Brewers, they didn't, they were kind of messing around with him. Like they didn't play him every single day. They didn't really yeah. commit to him until the final couple until of months he, of the season. Yeah. But if, if from day one, as of now, he's penciled in the lineup, starting third baseman, if that's the case in a, a pretty good Brewers lineup, could be a lot better if Christian Yelich bounces back. But it's yeah. also a great ballpark to hit in. So I, I love that call on Luis Arias. Let's move into who is this year's Joey Votto slash Adam Wainwright. This is an undervalued undervalued oldie kind of a tongue twister there undervalued oldie going outside the top 250 in ADP right now Chris who you got uh so one Zach Reinke who I believe Scott has on his sleepers or breakouts I'm not sure uh, but he mentioned him during the starting pitcher preview as someone he's going to draft a lot has way ahead of his ADP uh so I want to talk about Evan Longoria who is Sort of, this is what the Giants do now, right? Like Brandon Crawford had the best season of his career last season. Buster Posey had this massive bounce back. And I mean, you may not have noticed, but Evan Longoria was actually quite good last season. Only 291 plate appearances. Injuries are an issue. But 261 average, 833 OPS, and the underlying numbers were just as good. He had a 54.5% hard hit rate, 94 mile per hour average exit velocity. I think if he had qualified, uh, he would have been like top 10 in the league. Maybe number one. I have it here, Chris. Tied for fourth if he qualified. Yeah, so that's really impressive. And his his underlying stats have actually been pretty good the last few years. And so... You know, maybe the fact that it hasn't actually shown up in games except for a little bit last year is a concern, but I don't know. I, I kind of trust the Giants at this point. So Evan Longoria, I mean, you're not going to expect a full season, but you're not drafting him to be a full season starter. And if you just put him in your lineup as a corner infielder when he's healthy, I think he can be a, a pretty useful option. Yeah, Longoria right now, the ADP 
405. So for those playing <laughs> in NL only or in these 15-team leagues right now, draft and holds, or if you're doing best ball leagues, and you just need a third baseman later on in the draft, either a second or a third third baseman just to back up whoever your starter is. I, I think I've already drafted Longoria in either one or two of these drafts that I've been doing as well. So he's just going so late. Why not take the shot? The fact that the Giants have great done a great draft and hold option. Yeah, the Giants have done a great job with these Really just all their players recently, Chris. Not just reclamation pitchers, but they've done a great job with hitters recently, yep. getting these guys back on track. Their analytics department has done fantastic. So mm-hmm. uh, for whatever reason, their offense has been performing really well. I mean, look at Brandon Crawford last year as well. So yeah. uh, I do like that call on Evan Longoria. Is there anything else you wanted to add on Zach Ranky? Because I know Scott likes him quite a bit. I kind of wish Scott was here to talk more about him. It could just be one of those things where you're just saying, look, he's Zach Ranky. He has to get back on track. But mm-hmm. obviously... He fits this category. He is an oldie. And the strikeout stuff just completely fell off last year, Chris. Swinging strike rate, K per nine, just way, way, way down from where he've seen, we've seen him in years past. I don't know if there's any specific reason for this, but two soft tossers in Granke and Kyle Hendricks just absolutely got destroyed last year. So I, I would have to look more into it to find out what happened, but I thought it was interesting that those two pitchers are kind of similar and they both had really bad years. Yeah, part of it is just that We've done this story with Zach Greinke before. Remember 2016, he dropped down to a 4.37 ERA, a a 20.1% strikeout rate. Next season, he comes out 27% strikeout rate, 3.2 ERA. So, you know, it's it's a little like Joey Votto, where I just think Zach Greinke's such a smart player that he's going to figure some way to be better than he was last season. I think that's um, part of it. And just, he's so cheap, why not? You know, yep. like th- this is a, a guy with a strong track record who has been counted out before and has come back from the apparent fantasy dead before. So, <laughs> you know, outside of the top 200, there's no risk there. Yeah, I, I probably have to move him up a little bit. Scott has him at SP 50. You have him at 51. <clears throat> I have him all the way down at 77. So uh, I might have to do a little. little I mean, you're probably closer to, to consensus than we are. Probably, yeah. I mean, the ADP for Granky right now is 332.5. So, again, really late in your drafts. He hasn't signed anywhere yet. That's probably yeah. something that's causing his ADP to uh, stay as low as it is. But, I mean, I guess there's a chance that he retires. I haven't heard anything about it. I think if he was going to retire, he probably would have already. So, yeah. Yeah. I, I think Zach Granky pitches again. I, we got to see, obviously, where he winds up. For me, who is this year's Joey Votto slash Adam Wainwright? I have Carlos Carrasco. And... It was just a mess of a season for Carlos Carrasco last year. Uh, Torn hamstring kept him out until July 30th, and then he was just awful once he returned. 6.04 ERA, 1.43 whip, uh, just around 8Ks per nine, 12.4% swinging strike rate. Both of those numbers, his lowest since 2013. And then once the season ended, he had a bone fragment removed from his right elbow. So there's a very real chance that he was pitching through that. If you remember, all of last year, while we were waiting for him to come back from the hamstring, There was no update. There was never any update. We always kind of felt like there was something else going on with Carlos Carrasco. Mm -hmm. And I think it was probably related to that elbow. I think it was sometime in February or March he got shut down originally with that elbow. And then when he started to ramp up, he tore his hamstring. And that's why he was out for so long. So I think it was just a combination of all of these factors. There's really nothing in the underlying numbers, Chris, that say that he's going to be better this year. Uh, I looked at the velocity was fine. Uh, His pitch mix through the slider and the curve a decent amount less than he usually does that could have been related to the elbow injury that he was dealing with. 
turning 35 years old in March, the ADP just outside the top 300. For me, this is just taking a chance, a leap of faith on a pitcher that has been really good for a long time, just bouncing back, honestly. Yep. I, I think that makes perfect sense. The other player I wanted to highlight here, too, is uh, Charlie Blackman. And it, you look at his expected stats last year, I'll pull them up, but uh, he underperformed them quite a bit. And I know he was underwhelming. Like There was nothing exciting in his stat line from last year. The power was way down. He hit way more ground balls than he ever does. And he was not good at Coors Field. It was it's kind of this weird thing. Brendan Rodgers was not good at Coors Field. Trevor Story wasn't as great at Coors Field last year compared to years past. Same thing with Charlie Blackman. And um, yeah, I would I would assume that he's just going to be better in Coors. And if he lowers that ground ball rate closer to where he's been in years past, then I think we see the power bounce back a little bit. I'm not expecting you know prime Charlie Blackman. Can we get 20 no. plus home runs with a 280 plus batting average? If we get that at his current ADP, which is like. 230, 240, then I, I still think he's a valuable player. He hit yeah, two. No, I mean, the he, thing with Charlie Blackman is he's always overperformed his expected stats, which is yeah. what you would expect because he plays a course field and he plays in the thin air and he plays in this great park. Um, so last year he underperformed his expected stats. His a- expected Wobo was actually higher than 2020. It was um, not far off from 2018. You know, he was at 359. He was actually higher than 2018. So this was the second best of his last four seasons. Um, you know, I think it's unlikely that he's a must-star fantasy player, but if any 36-year-old's going to do it, I'll, I'll bet on a, a guy in Coors Field who who had the underlying stats to, to suggest it last season. Yeah, the ADP for Charlie Blackman, 233. So if you play in those five outfielder leagues, you can get him as your fourth, maybe even sometimes your fifth outfielder, the last one starting. And uh, the underlying, the expected BA, he hit 270. That was 289, the expected batting mm-hmm. average. His slug was 411. Expected slug was 454. So I do like the chances of a bounce back here for Charlie Blackman going very, very late. We're going to take a quick break, but before we do that, I want to remind you we will have another live mock draft stream this Tuesday night, this time a 12-team head-to-head categories league. Not exactly sure what time yet. I think we're looking at about 8 o'clock Eastern time, uh, but once we know that, I'll announce it on tomorrow's podcast and let you know. But uh, yeah, I know a lot of people have been asking for head-to-head categories content, so we're going to do that uh, mock draft on Tuesday night, so you can come hang out. Uh, I believe, Chris, you're going to be there with us, and hopefully another guest will have some fun, and if you haven't yet, subscribe and turn that notification bell on to our YouTube channel so you get notified every time we go live here on the channel. When we return, who is this year's Freddie Peralta? We'll talk about it next here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. If you've ever been in the market for a new home, you know home shopping can be a lot. There's so much you don't know and so much you need to know. What are the neighborhoods like? What are the schools like? Who is the agent who knows the listing or neighborhood best? And why can't all this information just be in one place? Well, now it is on Homes.com. As somebody who's been through this, I can tell you these features are so, so incredibly valuable. 
They've got comprehensive neighborhood guides and detailed reports about local schools, and their agent directory helps you see the agent's current listings and sales history. The area you live in is just as important as the house itself. You can get to know a neighborhood without ever setting foot in it. Say you're a really active person. You could find out about the nearest parks. Do they have a baseball field? Maybe you want to join a softball league like Chris and I play in. Also, Homes.com collaboration tools makes it easier than ever to share all this information with your family. It's a whole cul-de-sac of home shopping information all at your fingertips. Homes.com. We've done your homework. All right, so let's get back into it. And who is this year's Freddie Peralta? What does that mean? A pitcher whose role we're unsure of but has breakout potential. If you remember, Freddie Peralta this time last year, we didn't know if he was going to be in the bullpen, if he was going to be a starter for the Milwaukee Brewers, but we knew that he had good stuff. Lots of strikeouts, you know, whip kind of questionable, control kind of questionable, but ultimately uh, gets an opportunity to start for the Brewers for the majority of the season and was fantastic. So, Chris, who is a pitcher that fits that mold right now? So, uh, one special shout out to Waskari Noah and Denilson Lamette, two guys that I considered for this one. I could also throw in Chris Paddock uh, if you're looking for some bounce back candidates. Um, not sure where, if they, they've any of them have starting roles, but we've seen very good things from every single one of those guys within the past few years. But I'm going to go with Tristan McKenzie, who I, I'm pleased with how he pitched last season, even though the results weren't particularly good, 494 ERA. But what I liked seeing was that his average fastball velocity was 92 miles per hour. Now, for a right-handed pitcher in 2021, that's well below average. But Tristan McKenzie had some pretty concerning trends in 2020 as far as retain, you know, sustaining his fastball velocity. So the fact that he was able to average 92, I think it's a pretty good sign. The fact that he didn't get hurt, which has been an issue for him throughout his career is a good sign. And, you know, he threw his fastball too much last season, 61.6% of the time. That's not going to cut it. His fastball is not that good. He doesn't, you know, he doesn't necessarily do the things that you want out of fastball. He doesn't have the command of it that you want, but you know, his secondary pitches have all looked quite good throughout his time in the majors. Uh, his slider and curveball both had a 44% whiff rate last season. Slider was 44%. Curveball was 34% in 2020. His changeup has flashed at times. Uh, he's gotten pretty good results with the slider and curveball especially. So I just think there's the makings of a good pitcher here. There's obviously talent. And he's still pretty raw. He's thrown very little over the past four seasons because of the injuries. And so, I, you know, we, the, the Indians are, or the Guardians, excuse me, are one of those teams that we give a lot of credit to for getting the most out of their pitchers. Why can't Tristan McKenzie be the next one? You know, I know maybe our faith is a little shaken after the Zach Plezak travesty of last season, but um, I don't know. I still think there's reason to be hopeful for Tristan McKenzie. I am with you 1,000%, Chris. He was in my breakouts 1.0. He's the last pitcher that I wrote about in that column. I wanted to choose someone that was going a little bit later, and that is the case for Tristan McKenzie in the month of January. He is going pick 235.1, so very late in your drafts, and I'm with you. I mean, just the fact that Cleveland has a good track record of getting the most out of their pitchers, and really with McKenzie, someone who is a former top prospect in their organization. You look at his first 10 starts last year, he averaged over eight walks per nine, and that was with his velocity being down, 91.4 mm-hmm. miles per hour. His final 14 starts, that normalized, 2.2 walks per nine during that stretch. 
the velocity back up, 92.7 miles per hour on the fastball during that stretch. There were some hiccups late, final three or four starts, but he had a 10-start stretch from July to September, 2.96 ERA, 0.73 whip, 12.9% swinging strike rate. And if you check out my breakouts 1.0, I put a link in there to a, a video and it's really a game recap where McKenzie apologizes to Shohei Otani for making him look too bad. <laughs> and it was like these two 12-6 like spiked curveballs where Otani did not have a chance. We're talking about the American League MVP. The stuff is there for McKenzie. I worry about durability, obviously. Like yeah. he's just so thin. What's a realistic expectation for innings? 140, 150, maybe, hopefully. But if he's clicking. He's really, really good. Uh, if you look mm-hmm. at, since the start of 2020, he has a 199 batting average against. That just speaks for itself. Yes, he gives up a lot of fly balls, but his stuff is just, is nasty. So I, I absolutely love yeah. the call on Tristan McKenzie there. Someone who I just drafted. I'm in a 12-team draft and hold right now. Round 20, I just took Tristan McKenzie as my fifth starting pitcher. Totally cool with it. Probably would rather have him as like a six or a seven, but it's cool. Uh, for me, who is this year's Freddie Peralta? I was. Uh, I, I think all three of these are fine candidates. Michael Kopech with the White Sox, Aaron Ashby, who's getting a lot of hype with the Milwaukee Brewers, and rightfully so. And then Tanner Houck. Uh, that's the one that I'm, I'm going to go with here from the Boston Red Sox. Last year, he posted a 3.52 ERA, a 1.13 WHIP, 87 strikeouts, an 11.4 K per nine. If you combine his majors, his minors, his postseason innings, he got up to 101.1. So I think. You know, if you're projecting that forward, you know, 120, 130, I think that can be a realistic expectation for Hauk this year. And he's he's just, he's good. I, the, the slider is filthy. I think it's already one of the best in the game. 16.2% swinging strike rate on that pitch last year. A 159 batting average against. You watch him pitch, Chris, and Tanner Hauk looks exactly like Chris Sale. And he has Chris Sale in the rotation with him to learn from. Like, who is better for this guy to learn from if not Chris Sale? And he's right there. To, to Like, whatever he needs, he can he can learn from Chris Sale. The issue here is we don't really know what the role is going to be to start the year. They currently have six pitchers projected in the rotation, uh, according to roster resource. Sale, Nathan Avaldi, Nick Pavetta, Rich Hill, Michael Waka, and then Tanner Houck, with James Paxton returning from Tommy John surgery at some point as well. So... You know, is he... Uh, There's going pe- to be opportunity there for him yeah. if he pitches well. Rich Hill... I, like, could, that, that's you know, just... It's Rich Hill. With that it's, that yeah. rotation has a ton of question marks. They should sure. be really good, but if Tanner Houck's pitching well, he's going to be in the rotation. I'm pretty sure of it. Yeah. What do you think the, about... The problem is... Go ahead. You're probably not... He's probably going to average five innings per start. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's the thing is that I just... I don't know. He's going to go through the lineup more than twice, and so there's going to be an inning, a, a limit on wins and innings and, and strikeouts as a result of that. But I think he's going to be really good on a per inning basis, and in a roto league, especially you know less so in a points, but in a roto league, I think he could be u- very useful. One hundred percent. Like in a points league, you have to devalue all these guys. I think him, Kopech, Ashby. You could say the same thing for each of them. Could get awesome ratios, lots of strikeouts, but we just don't know how much they're going to pitch overall. Yeah, I, I will say with Kopech, um, especially, if he gets the chance to start, if he gets the chance to be in the rotation, I mean, he looked overwhelming last season. I know he only had a 3-5 ERA, uh, but 1-1-3 whip, 103 strikeouts in 69 in the third innings, 36% strikeout rate, only an 8.4% walk rate. That'll work if he can do it in the rotation. 
257 expected WOBA against. That was in the top 10% uh, in the league. 276 expected ERA. I think he still has absolute ace potential, and we saw it in action last season. He he generates a lot of weak contact, a, a lot of pop-ups. So, yeah, I Michael Kopech, if he's in the rotation, I think he's going to be very good. Yeah, the problem is he, he's getting a little bit of hype right now. The ADP up to 175, so yep. it's... It's not prohibitive to draft him, but he's climbing slowly. So uh, I agree. Look, the stuff is absolutely filthy with Kopech. The ADP for Tanner Houck is right around 200. And then for Aaron Ashby, who Aaron Ashby, you watch the slider from the left-hand side. It's it's nasty. And it's a lot like Cleveland where you just trust Milwaukee at this point. What they've done in developing their pitchers, Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Freddie Peralta, you just mm-hmm. kind—it's of, kind of just blind faith. You just trust whatever whatever they do. Uh, Ashby going the lowest of those guys, two sixty-eight point nine. I would say there's more uncertainty with his role than anyone else that we've talked about so far. So that's probably why he's going uh, later than some of these other players that we mentioned. Let's move on to the next one here, Chris, and we have who is this year's Cody Bellinger? So a bit of a negative one, a player going in the first two rounds who has bottom out potential. Who you got? Uh, I, I think the right answer is Jacob deGrom. Uh, he's currently, I guess, just going inside of the top two rounds, right? His ADP is he's the 24th player off the board right now on average. Yep. Um, and look, I, I think he's the best pitcher in baseball. I think if he's healthy, he's going to be the best pitcher in baseball. But given the amount of elbow and forearm issues that he had last season, including ligament damage or uh, concern about ligament damage at least, it just feels like it's a ticking time bomb. And maybe that bomb never goes off. You know, remember Masahiro Tanaka? It seemed like he pitched like six years after, uh, what, having a torn, a partially torn UCL, right? And so sometimes that bomb never goes off. Um, we'll see if it doesn't for Jacob deGrom, and I think he's worth the risk in the second round. But if you're talking about the player who has the potential to absolutely bottom out, Jacob deGrom could be Justin Verlander in 2020. He can make one start. And, or 2019 he can make one start blow out his elbow and he's done so that's a concern but I, I i will also throw out nobody wants to hear it so i'm going to whisper but shohei otani what was that chris is, what was that shohei otani oh okay he is the most fun player in baseball i hope nothing bad ever happens to him i hope he lives a long and healthy life um he's a pitcher who is also a hitter. Pitchers have a lot of injury risk. Hitters have their own version of injury risk. Even as a DH, DHs can get hurt. He's playing a lot of baseball. He's doing a lot of different things. There are a lot of opportunities for Shohei Otani to get hurt. And as we've seen, if he blows out his elbow, he could still hit and still be quite good. You know, we saw that in his rookie season. But there's the chance that he messes up his shoulder running the bases and can't do either there's a chance that he messes up his knee you know that it's just there's compounded injury risk for him more so than any other player just because of the nature of the way he's used and that's always going to leave an especially high injury risk for him so that's the concern it's it's i hope nothing happens i hope he fulfills his full potential every single season because there's no player in baseball who i like watching more than shohei otani but we have to acknowledge the risk when you're talking about your fantasy teams. <laughs> I see people tweeting, responding to our video. Justin Mason from the Sleeper in the Bus podcast asked, who is this year's Justin Mason? 
I don't know. I might have to take some time to think about that. So. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. But Justin Mason, we had him on earlier in the offseason and great guest. And he was someone who was all over Cedric Mullins last year before he broke yep. out. So obviously I asked him who is this year's Cedric Mullins. And I believe at the time he gave me Cole Tucker from the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. So someone who is going super, super late. Yeah. Uh, I threw out like Lane Thomas and Connor Joe. Those you know, were a few picks I mentioned last week on our Sleepers Breakouts and Bust 1.0. But that's why I didn't include Cedric Mullins in this conversation because uh, we talked about that a few times already this offseason. You know, I just want to say for what it's worth in this whole conversation that we're doing in this episode, identity theft is a crime. <laughs> okay. Uh, by the way, Chris, your answers are 1000% right. Like it is DeGrom and it's Shohei Otani. Unfortunately, the game is so much better with both of those players. So I yeah. am hoping that nothing bad happens I mean, to we're, them. We're, but we're talking like two inner circle hall of famers. Yes. If they're healthy, like two, two of the best to ever do it. And so I want to say again and again and again, I hope nothing bad happens to either of them. Um, but yeah, if we're talking about, and you know, DeGrom, obviously, there's a ton of talk about the risk with him. But Shohei Otani, I, I've seen very little discussion because of how good he was last season. Um, but I think he's arguably the riskiest player in the early rounds. Yeah, no, I, I think that's fair for the reasons that you mentioned. And there's also this added, like, he's a util-only player. So yeah. I'll save that discussion for another day. But I've already done deeper league drafts where I have passed on Otani in the middle of the first round because it's just so hard to fill out the rest of your roster. You have all these yeah. needs in a deeper league where you know you just have someone sitting in your utility spot all year. He should be amazing when he plays, but it's just kind of a very unique situation. The nice thing is something that Scott mentioned, I think, in one of the episodes last week. There aren't that many utility-only players this year. Yeah. You know, the, the guys that we can typically consider utility-only, um, Stanton, J.D. Martinez, uh, Yordan Alvarez. Jordan Alvarez, they all have outfield eligibility. Correct. So it's really like Otani and Cruz are, are, are the, the, the biggest ones. So you know that's less of a concern this mm-hmm. year, but still, yeah, it, it limits you. Yep, for sure. Otani, Cruz, the other one I believe in the top 150 is Fran Mil Reyes. So those uh, yes, are yes. the big three util-only bats this year. Who is this year's Cody Bellinger? I mentioned, I think you're right, Chris. The only other one I was considering, and some people might call me a hypocrite for this one because I've already mm-hmm. gone on record, and I love this player. I, I think that there's more of a chance that he we're, be, we're drafting this guy in the top five picks next year than he just completely bottoms out. But we're talking about range of outcomes, Chris, and I've got to I've got to talk about Luis Robert because as great as he was last year, he played 68 games. He hit 338, 13 homers, a 946 OPS, lowered the strikeout rate tremendously from the shortened 2020 season. 32% in 2020, 20.6% last year. However, the swinging strike rate was still 16%. So there is a legitimate chance that the strikeouts. They go back in the other direction a little bit. You know, maybe he's a 24, 25% strikeout rate guy, but he's going to impact the ball so hard that I still think that he can be a batting average contributor. The reason I bring him up as a bottom out potential, Chris, because it is within the range of outcomes that he just does what he did again in 2020. Because we now have these two around 60, 70 game samples where one, he was really, really good, and one where he was, you know, he was good, but like he also struck out a lot in 2020. So, I just want to bring up that as a possibility for Luis Robert. Yeah, and the other thing that I, that I would bring up is it's not necessarily clear how much of a stolen base guy he's going to be. You know, there, there were thoughts that 
he could be 30-30 coming out of the minors. The White Sox haven't really used their guys like that, and I'm not sure it's going to happen for him. But you know, right now, so far in his major league career, he's been around a 20 stolen base pace. Last season, I know he had injuries. Uh, it was a hip injury last year, right? Yep. Um, so that that's obviously a pretty good excuse, but he only had six stolen bases in, in 296 plate appearances last season. So there are... You know, he could end up being a 25 homer, 15 stolen base guy, which is really, really good. But, you know, it it might be. I'm trying to think of like a. I don't want to reference Byron Buxton again. Um, He could be like Randy Orozarena. I was going to say Kyle Tucker, like what Kyle Tucker did last year 30 homers, 14 steals. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, if he hits 294, then then it doesn't matter um, and, you know, gets the RBI and runs that, that you would expect from that. But, yeah, it's. There's definite potential for he's a volatile profile, I think is the best way to put it. It's just that this type of player, because of his plate discipline, he could take a big step back or he could fluctuate a lot from year to year. Yeah. Look, it's no surprise at this point. I I like the White Sox, man. I, I do like Luis Robert. I do like Eloy Jimenez quite a bit. And with that, take it away, Hawk. Mercy. All right. Let's get to our final one here and the poster child on our YouTube thumbnail today. Who is this year's Robbie Ray, a pitcher going outside the top 200 who has Cy Young upside, and with that, league-winning upside. Chris, who you got here? So the the two that I've gone with were Denelson Lamette and Chris Paddock. One thing I've been struggling with uh, in doing, you know, the sleepers, breakouts, and busts, which are really the, the first big pieces after the rankings that I've been doing, and those are the ones where you're looking at ADP to find values, good or bad. Pitching is, it's hard to find especially good or especially bad values at pitching these days. I think there are still, you know, because there's just like differences of opinion at, at in hitting, uh, there's still some guys there, but I don't know. It, it just seems like we're really sharp as an industry at, at pitchers right now. And so it's hard to find an obvious guy. I think Tristan McKenzie could be that guy, I think. Uh, you know, if Chris Paddock or Denelson the Met fixed their issues, they could be that guy. I think um, who's yeah Tristan McKenzie, who we talked about earlier. I you know Noah Syndergaard's technically outside of the top two hundred if he rediscovers his early form. Um, so you know, th- there's there's guys, but it, it's it's a lot harder to find late late round guys that I really really like than it used to be. Yeah, you know, for me, Chris, I- I'm finding a lot of guys in that range that I like. You know. 180 on 200 yeah. plus that I like my, the problem for me is finding a way to differentiate them in the rankings because mm-hmm. in every draft that I've done I'll see five or six guys in a row that I really like it'll be Tristan McKenzie the player I'm going to talk about next Patrick Sandoval it can be a bunch of the Giants guys Alex Wood Anthony DeScofani, uh Alex Cobb a bunch yep. of these players the thing is, I don't know how to differentiate them. I like all of them. So what do I do? Just just draft all of them? I mean, at that point, you're I mean, you're you're drafting too many. I mean, you got you, and that's what we're kind of working through at this point in the offseason is like, okay, how do we differentiate these pitchers and who's better than the rest of them? But that's the issue that I've come across myself is that I really like a lot of these pitchers. I just don't know which one I like most. Can I can I add one more name to that list? Sure. Edward Cabrera who kind of has the opposite issue of a lot of the guys that we talk about, especially young pitchers. He probably didn't throw his fastball enough. And I'm not sure his fastball command is good enough. He got 
crushed with his fastball last season. And he doesn't, he has trouble throwing it in the zone. His command of his fastball, it is his worst pitch, arguably. His slider and his changeup are actually really, really good pitches, which is the opposite of what we're usually used to seeing with uh, young starting pitchers. The thing is, it's really weird to see a guy throw 97 to 99 miles per hour have his fastball be his biggest weakness. And so if he's able to command it a little better, get it up in the zone for whiffs, get it up in the zone for weak contact, and then have the changeup and slider as his put-away pitches, as much as we've liked Sixto Sanchez over the last few years before the injuries, there were a lot of people in baseball, a lot of scouts, a lot of prospect people who said, Edward Cabrera is a better pitcher than Sixto Sanchez. So uh, he is outside of the top 500 in oh, just inside 499.15 <laughs> since the start of January is Edward Cabrera's ADP right now in NFC drafts. So absolutely free, literally zero cost, may not get drafted in a 12 team, 15 or 15 team Roto League. So <laughs> yeah, I like Edward, Edward Cabrera a lot, obviously. He is a Miami Marlin. Let's just go with all the Marlins, Chris. Can I have permission to hop on the bandwagon before it takes off here? I mean, <laughs> I think they're probably the worst or second worst <laughs> team in the NL East, so I'm not sure the I'm not sure you need my permission to jump on. <laughs> I don't think I have the I don't think I have the the permission to allow you or not. Oh, I thought you were the conductor of just the everything Marlins related. You are just you're the guy. No, I I'm <laughs> My my Marlins fandom. I don't know if you know this about me. My Marlins fandom is mostly tied into masochism. <laughs> oh, you mean like my favorite football and, and, and yeah. basketball teams, yeah. the Jets yeah. and the Knicks. So yeah, I I know a lot about that. Uh, all right, so this year's Robbie Ray for me. It is Patrick Sandoval, as I mentioned. He is also in my Breakouts 1.0 piece. You could go read about it, but I'll tell you about it right now. He was ins- inserted into the Angels rotation on May 17th. He made 14 starts. During that time, a 3.39 ERA, 1.18 whip, 86 strikeouts, over 79 and two-thirds innings pitched, 15.3% swinging strike rate in those 14 starts, was second in baseball behind only Corbin Burns. So there's no issues getting whiffs here for Sandoval. The changeup, filthy. It is a nasty changeup from the left-hand side, 139 batting average against with a 287 percent swinging strike rate now keep this in mind Jacob deGrom led baseball last year with like a 22 percent swinging strike rate overall I think league average is around 11 percent 28.7 percent swinging strike rate on the changeup for Patrick Sandoval it is just a a completely dominant pitch Uh, he has a really good slider as well the issue he struggles with the fastball the command of it it can Mm -hmm. get hit hard and you look at the walks I mean he struggled with walks in his career he's always been able to generate whiffs now I think it's just a matter of him, A, staying healthy. He just he dealt with a stress fracture in his back last year, which shut him down, and the fastball command. If he works on those two things and they come together with the changeup and the slider, I mean, Chris, we are looking at a true, true breakout potential starting pitcher, someone that can yep. you know be a top 20 starting pitcher by year's end. It would not surprise me. Yeah, and you know, I think one positive sign there is that his changeup usage jumped from 22.9% to 29, 29.6% from 2020 to 2021. So that's just uh, you know, an example of how much more confident he seems to be in it. The, and he introduced a sinker, which his fastballs collectively performed better than they did in 2020. And I wonder if that's just neither the sinker nor the four-seamer are particularly good, but maybe it's just enough of a different look 
you know, the sinker down, the, the four seamer up, that it makes them a little less predictable and makes that pitch a little harder to hit. So, you know, I, I think there are definitely reasons to be optimistic about Patrick Sandoval for sure. The last player I'll mention here, Chris, I, I asked for permission. I, I mean it, man. <laughs> I want to be on the Marlins bandwagon. We know I love Sandy. I've already drafted two shares of Pablo Lopez. That's my guy. I just need him to stay healthy. Jesus Lozardo, I'm not giving up, man. Last year was a weird season for him. He broke his hand, like, slamming a desk because he got crushed in Fortnite or something like that. Um, so it was a weird season for him. He got traded from the A's to the Marlins, former top prospect. We all know the deal with Jesus Lozardo. And over his final three starts last year, super small sample size, he started throwing his breaking ball. I don't know if it's a curve or a slider because it, it categorized it in differently on, in, on different websites. So I'll just go with breaking ball. But he used it 40%, uh, over 40%, his final three starts. And in that last start, 11 strikeouts to zero walks, a ton of whiffs during that stretch as well. I, I just, I still think it's there, Chris. I mean, he throws hard with the fastball, mid-90s from the left-hand side. He's got the slider. He's got the changeup. He's got two strong secondary offerings. Uh, like, the control was really bad for him last year. That hasn't mm-hmm. really been an issue for him in the past. I just think it was a weird season, and... For where he's going right now, 291.5, I already have a share of him, and I'm much likely to get more of it. Yeah, his fastballs have been a disaster. <laughs> That's the problem, is that he just he can't get whiffs with them. They get hit hard. He hasn't had good command of them, but... I, I guess that's the easier thing to fix. I mean, you know, it's kind of... Um, kind of what we were talking about with Patrick Sandoval, where, you know, if the... If the if, fastball just gets a little better you know the curveball and changeup are good enough uh, and you know particularly the the curveball that it could be enough you know it's it's a tough needle to thread but pitching is hard you know like that's there's no such thing as a pitching prospect that goes both ways it's not just the pitching prospects get hurt all the time or don't develop the way you think guys come out of nowhere guys fluctuate a lot it's a really difficult skill but i could see Jesus Lazardo having like a Carlos Rodon type of breakout. You know, what, what Carlos Rodon did last season. Yeah, it reminds me a lot. You mentioned Carlos Rodon. How about his teammate, Lucas Giolito, right? Former top prospect sure. in the game. Completely fell off. He was written off. We had no reason to expect anything from Lucas Giolito. That's kind of where we are with Jesus Lazardo right now as well. Mm-hmm. So I understand the fastball has been bad. You're right, Chris. Uh, I just think trusting this, the secondary stuff and, and hopefully the fastball gets back on track. There's actually this article... That I pulled up from uh, fishstripes.com. I know they have all these different like SB Nation team websites, but the the subject line here is Jesus Lozardo eyeing 2022 breakout with improved fastball command. So it's something that he's cognizant of and he's yeah. clearly working on in the offseason. I'm not giving up on the guy yet. You know, we talked about the Giants and their track record with hitters, especially, uh, but also with pitchers. We've talked about the Indians. The Marlins are kind of getting to that point where you should have a lot of faith in their ability to develop hard, uh, you know, young pitchers there. They, especially there, there's kind of, I don't know if it's a specific pitching coach or pitching development coordinator or whatever, but they have a, like a specific changeup that a lot of the guys seem to throw. It's a harder changeup that doesn't move as much. Um, and so, you know, maybe we'll see some shifts in, in Jesus Lazardo's changeup looks or usage and, Maybe that'll help unlock something. But the Marlins, I think, have earned some of the benefit of the doubt. Jesus Lazardo should be cheap in drafts. I'm not saying he's someone who you should draft very high, but he's someone you should be looking at for sure. 
right there with you. So don't give up yet on Jesus Lazardo. And again, uh, my pick for this year's Robbie Ray is Patrick Sandoval. We're going to wrap there. We're not going to get to your email questions today. I apologize, but we will try to get to them on tomorrow's podcast. Plus, we have a mailbag coming up later this week. So keep those coming in. Fantasy Baseball at CBSI.com. That's the letter I. Or you can leave a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts and you can drop your question in the review. We'll pull some from those there as well. For Chris, I am Frank. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball Today. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. 